0: I will never forget the evening I invited him into my heart. It was not a spectacular, emotional thing, but very real, occurring at the very center of my soul. He came into the darkness of my heart and turned on the light. He started music where there had been stillness. He built a fire in the cold hearth. He filled the emptiness with his own loving presence. And I realized I wanted him to stay. To make this heart of mine his home. To let everything that was mine become His. I have never regretted opening the door to Christ, and I never will.
1: Next, we wandered into the living room. I liked this room. It was intimate and comfortable, with overstuffed chairs, a fireplace, and great light. I could tell that Jesus liked it too. This is maybe the best room yet, he said, as he sunk into a chair. Let's come here often to be with one another. I was thrilled to think I could have even a few moments of close compassionship with Christ. He continued, I'll be here every morning to meet with you. Let's start our day off right together. So each morning, I step into the living room and settle into a chair. He would take a book of the Bible and we'd open it together. His spirit would speak to me, showing me something important to ponder about God or about my own way of life. I would speak to him in return through prayer. Our friendship deepened. Somehow, bit by bit, my commitment to this time got shorter and shorter. Sometimes I would skip entire days It wasn't on purpose. It was just the busyness of life. One morning, rushing past the living room and out the door, I noticed the light on and the fire burning. Jesus was there, just as he promised. Jesus, I said in a rush. So sorry, have you been here every morning? I hoped he would say no, and that I should just carry on with my usual day. But he didn't. Yes, I told you I would be here every day, and I have been. My heart sank with conviction. He's my guest, I thought. I invited him in to be my savior and friend. I wondered, would I treat anyone else this way? He had been faithful to me all this time, even when I was faithless to him. I asked Jesus to forgive me, which he did. He's like that. As we start over, Jesus said, can I let you in on a secret? I leaned in, eager. You have been thinking of this time as spiritual effort, but what I want you to know is that it's much more than that. I delight in this time with you. I was stunned. Jesus actually wants to spend time with me and not simply improve me. Realizing I'm not a project, but a beloved friend has forever changed how I think about Jesus in my time with him.
2: Merry Christmas. And welcome. My name is Eric Hansen. I'm one of the pastors here and really glad that you are here on this beautiful Christmas Eve. Congratulations. You made it. Why don't you take a deep sigh of relief and joy? You're here. It's happened. Presumably, for the most part, you maybe have some presents to wrap, and the rest is just gravy. Well done. If uh, you are just uh, coming back home after uh, being away, you maybe you're a son or daughter of this church, and now you live somewhere else, or this is your first time coming to this church, maybe ever, you have chosen an excellent time to get caught up. So glad that you are here. Since the beginning of December, we have been working our way through a series that we have been calling Prepare Him Room. And it comes from this opening line of this hymn that we just sang, Joy to the world, the Lord has come, Let earth receive her king. Let every heart prepare him room. And what we've been seeking to talk about and what we've been seeking to understand is this. Somehow, God's cosmic mission to put everything back to rights collides with God's desire to reside in your heart and in mine. Whatever it is that God is planning on doing with all of creation, he's also planning on doing with you. And over the last uh, several weeks, what we've done is we've imagined that Jesus has had some part of a conversation with us as we've sort of rummaged around in uh, the home of our heart. We started in the study and we talked a little bit about what Jesus might have to say to us about the life of the mind. Then we stepped into the dining room and we talked a little bit about our appetites and our desires and our ambitions. We went from there into the kitchen where we'd We looked at our life of service and the kinds of things that we are doing and creating to honor Christ and to love our neighbor. Then we um, took a look upstairs into the bedroom where we talked about relationships, and primarily and most especially um, the marriage relationship. What might God have to say to us, those of us who are married? Then just uh, yesterday, we took a look in that locked-away hall closet. What are those things, even after we've let Christ rummage around, what are those things that we keep locked away and we want to keep securely to ourselves? Actually, it's been a really excellent series. I've, it's been so moving to my own heart. But I do need to say something about it. If, if there's one more room we need to visit and talk about, and if we don't talk about this room, all we really are doing is talking about spiritual self-improvement. All we're doing is really talking about doing whatever we can under our own power to make ourselves better, and that's actually not the gospel. The gospel is, well, it's about this, so we're doing today and what it means. Today we're going to talk about the living room. So why don't we spend a few minutes praying together, shall we, and we'll dive right in. Father, thank you for all of the strands of life that needed to come together for us to be together in this room. Many of us have had dinner. Maybe our eyelids are a little heavy. Many of us will eat right after this. Many of us have done all of our shopping, and many of us are wondering why we didn't make that one last errand. Still, Lord, would you just let time stop? Those things are good, maybe even necessary, but now, Lord, would you lead us in worshiping you? Already we have been singing to you and praying before you. Now, Lord, would this moment also be an act of worship? May the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be pleasing and acceptable to you if you are our Lord, our Rock, and our Redeemer. And all God's people said, Amen. All right, I uh, would like to begin in in perhaps a bit of an unexpected place uh, today as um, we work our way into the living room. I wonder if you've noticed how often headlines like this have come up over the last year, maybe year and a half, that I've noticed them. Surgeon General says that there's a loneliness epidemic. New York Times writes about how social isolation is killing us. The biggest threat facing middle-aged men isn't smoking or obesity, it's loneliness. You can be in the fittest city in the country apparently and still be in trouble. The Atlantic writes that loneliness feeds upon itself and begets more loneliness. Social isolation kills more people than obesity, Slate writes. Young people report more loneliness than the elderly. It seems like our entire culture knows something about the trouble and struggle of isolation to be in the midst of a whole bunch of people and still actually feel unseen, unknown, unrecognized, unloved. What's interesting about these findings is one of those articles says one of the most difficult things about talking about isolation with 21st century Americans is actually how little we recognize that we feel lonely and isolated. And it's because of things like this. I have 564 connections on LinkedIn. I have 1,115 friends on Facebook. My wife has 500 more. (laughs) Already, some of you are like, is that all? And some of you are, how is that even possible? Because friends, we're actually measuring the wrong thing. You're kind of trying to stack yourself up against whether or not you're more or less lonely than I am. The actual problem is is there's, there's deep loneliness and isolation and separation. We don't actually have good ways for us to monitor this or measure this, except from finally when we hit the breaking point. And it's a problem, actually, that extends thousands of years earlier than when we started doing sociological research on what's happening with the human psyche and the human heart. Turns out this isn't just a social problem. The reason why it's a social problem is because it is first and primarily a spiritual problem. There are people here in this room right now who know the deep pain of feeling spiritually separated and isolated. Everyone here in this room can probably, at some point or another, remember and recall what it's like to feel absolutely distant from the taproot of truth. You've lost what it's how, how to, what what it's like. What's interesting is the culture wants to tell us. I don't really mean to make culture the enemy necessarily, but it does tell us there's a way to fix this. It does tell us there's a way to fix it. It's 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 called uh, clickbait. You're on a website, you're looking down at the bottom. It says seven things to do to to affair-proof your marriage. Three things to never say to your mother-in-law. How to win friends and influence people in four easy steps. Right? Our culture is filled with this opportunity to, to seek to improve ourselves. I, um, I use this app called Pocket. I don't know if anyone else uses it. I imagine it doesn't exist just for me. Um, but uh, these are just a sampling. I favorited some of the samplings to just give you a sense of the kinds of things I'm talking about. This is from Pocket. It's probably too small for you to read, so let me see if I can read them to you. The first one, the upper left, how to have fewer bitter arguments in love. The four attachment styles and how they sabotage your work-life balance. How to be alone, the difference between loneliness and solitude. Do you want to become extremely successful? Do these 13 things every day. Unless one of them is open my eyes, I'm not going to get there. (laughs) On the bottom row there, the the most important skill for interacting with people. A new, more rigorous study confirms the more you use Facebook, the worse you feel. This morning routine will save you 20-plus hours (laughs) per week. Every successful relationship is successful for the same exact reasons. You probably have articles like these popping up and you're reading too. Because we all know that this social isolation, this separation actually exists. There are people right now in this room, I'm one of them, that can feel my heart pounding whenever I start thinking about how it feels to be in a room and be unseen. We know this feeling. But Can I tell you something? Did you notice those headlines? How to do this, how to do this, how to do that. Do, do, do. I am exhausted with self-improvement. the advice on how to fix my own inadequacy is almost always discouraging. It makes me competitive. It makes me agitated. And ultimately, it actually makes me lonelier. There has to be a better way. Following all this pursuit and advice, it puts all the burden back on me. It's my problem. I need to fix it. Do these three things. Take on these 20 habits to start out 2019 right. 20 habits. To be honest, I probably could do some of those things, and probably I would even be maybe in a slightly better place with my friends or my spouse or my coworkers or whatever else. But can I tell you, also, I wouldn't address the deepest problem. It wouldn't address the deepest causes of my separation because they're spiritual, They're not related to self-help. And this, friends, is a story of why we're here tonight. Because our self-help will never be enough. Because our own pocket reading list will just create more angst. And instead, for 2,000 years, what we have heard over and over and over again as a Christian people is this astonishing story, the, the greatest story ever told. I once had a pastor, I think maybe by mistake, when I was a very young young believer, called it the toldest story ever great. And friends, no matter how long you tell it, no matter how many times you repeat it, it is still good news. The pattern of what we see here in these opening sections of these opening verses of the Gospel of John They follow this same pattern that we saw in Joy to the World. Big, huge, cosmic dream. And then it gets down to something infinitesimally sort of small and maybe even underwhelming. John chapter 1, verses 1 through 5. In the beginning was the Word. Big philosophical questions answered. And the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was with God in the beginning. Through him, all things were made. Without him, nothing was made that has been made. In him was life, and that life was the light of all mankind. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. There's cosmic forces, light versus darkness. This is like real-life, spiritual Star Wars. This is really happening. The light has broken into the world to conquer the darkness. It's written in huge, ginormous landscape. And then, skipping down to verse 14, that word, the one who's going to do that kind of battle, became flesh and made his dwelling among us. We have seen his glory, the glory of the one and only Son who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. Friends, this is the toldest story ever great. The God of all creation, who spoke it all into existence, who sees our separation, who understands our isolation, who knows that we desperately need life, says, I will do it. And here's a secret, friends. His grand plan, the, the best plan, the thing that God is going to do more than anything else. He's going to come in the flesh as an infant. This is his plan womb, infancy, childhood, smelly teenager, manhood. Followers, cross, death, resurrection. This is the plan. He's come to actually dwell with us. That's the solution to our isolation, friends. The God of the whole universe wants to be with you, be lovingly connected to you, be in your life. This is God's grand plan for the grandest and biggest isolation problem that you can name. Jesus Christ himself, he has come to confront our separation, our isolation, the darkness. And it started as an infant. This is the good news of Christmas. There is no how-tos. There is no list of do's. There's only good news. Christ came in the flesh that you might have life and that you might have it in abundance. He wants to dwell with you. That's, that really probably should have been the first room. He wants to dwell with you. Oftentimes we make the mistake that actually what we think is, you know, if I, just, if I go through the self-improvement if I, if I get better, then God will willingly dwell with me. I, I know I, I'm a spiritual person, and I believe in Jesus, but, but I have to get better first. If I get better, then Jesus will dwell. And friends, it's actually the reverse. If you let Jesus dwell with you the way he wants to, you will naturally, over time, relationally, become the person God wants you to become. You don't improve first, you improve because of Jesus Christ. And today we celebrate because God the Son came in the flesh to teach us and show us and save us, to die for us that we might have life in him. Sometimes we don't hear all the musical lyrics because we know them so well. But Christmas hymns are this beautiful collision of of infant and light and destruction and sin, and it all comes together in the person of Jesus Christ for you. Listen to the words we sing. So friends, can I just ask you as we come to a close in this moment, are you ready? Are you ready to set aside the isolation and the the separation that marks our lives? God's not waiting for you to get better. He's waiting to let you, um, he's, he's waiting for you to take him in. What if he did that? What would it be like if you gave him every room of the house and prepared him room? What would it be like?
0: He had stayed with me for some time now. I'd seen the power and the transformation his presence could bring. Where there was disarray, he brought order.
2: Where there were lies, he spoke truth.
0: Where there was scarcity, Abundance. Where there was death, he brought life. But I knew there was something more. A choice he would not force. But the beckon to life I still had yet to fully know. To give every room every wall, every threshold, every window and dark corner to him.
1: That I might finally
0: inhabit the words I had known for so long. It is no longer I who live.
2: It is no longer I
0: who live. It is no longer I who live. It is no longer I who live. live. Christ lives in me.